Alrighty, g'day, g'day, and welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. You can call me Brad or the captain, or you can call me whatever you like, because if you support the show, then I'm a fan of you. Um, and I'm just <laughs> glad to be here. We're in lockdown. We're providing people with some well-needed entertainment, but also some education, because today's topic is going to be extremely educational and very relevant because I assume or I'd love to assume that everybody listening or watching this has at least one friend and we're here to talk about friendships today. Friendships that are positive, negative, toxic, all of them um, alike because today's guest is an expert in all of that. She's a neuropsych and we're going to dive a little bit more into what that is. We've all heard of psychologists, we've all heard of neuroscience. Well, what happens when you combine the two where you get Dr. Hannah Coral. I hope I'm saying that right. So from your home, your car or wherever, wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to not only this incredible human being, but also an author um, of the book, How to Break Up with Friends. How are you, Hannah? Hi, Captain Brad. Thanks for having me. Very My pleasure. My right pleasure. It is good to see you. It's, it's nice to have a little bit of human interaction from lockdown. And I was just saying, I'm yeah in a little bit of home isolation today because we just found out we're casual contacts um, due to a COVID case in Woolies. So what better way to spend it than here on Zoom with you talking on a podcast? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a really trying time. I think everyone's going through like the seven stages of grief that we're back in lockdown again. I think I'm in somewhere between depression and anger. <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? And it's frustrating. You know, we're very social creatures. Well, I know I am anyways. Um, so I always miss plenty of friends and family during these times. And we're here to talk about that. We're here to talk about friendships. And this is probably, I guess, one of the benefits of a lockdown or, or these periods where we are less social is you get to assess your friendships. You realize whether you miss them or not. It really does clarify the way you feel about a lot of the people you have in your life. Um, and as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder. And if you're not missing your friends during this period of time, um, you're either potentially sick of them, like my friends probably are of <laughs> me, um, or there's good reason for that. And we're going to talk yeah. about all that here today. You've written a book, How to Break Up with Friends, which I continue to hear incredible things about. However, I am the slowest reader on the planet and I've been on the same book for the last six months. So I'll get to it. <laughs> I guarantee you that. Get on the audible, Brad. <laughs> I, I might have to. I might have to because that seems to be the more viable way for me to, to get that education. But before we dive into... I guess the book and, and the lessons from that, I want to get a little bit of an idea of who you are and why this topic interests you, why you decided to study in your given field. Oh, thanks. Um, well, I'm, I'm Dr. Han. I'm the no bull psych. Um, I grew up in Canberra, which please don't hold it against me. Canberra is a nice place. Uh, it has a bad rep, but it is a nice place. Um, and I moved to Melbourne to study neuroscience, neuropsychology in 2013. Um, and I, the reason I got into neuropsychology was because one of my lecturers, while I was doing my Bachelor of Science, she read a passage out of a book called um, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. It's by Oliver Sacks. Okay. <laughs> about all these amazing, weird and wacky things that our brain does when one part of your brain isn't working. Um, so that was the type of visual agnosia, agnosia where this man couldn't identify objects anymore. So he mistook his his wife for a hat. <laughs> so okay, I was wow. like, this is 
possible? What is this? And she said, oh, well, if you're interested in that, if you like that, then you should think about being a neuropsychologist. Um, and that kind of, yeah, started the pathway of me just going from, you know, honours to masters, did my PhD in neuroscience because I love it so much. Uh, and yeah, uh, two years of registrar program later and I yeah have traveled around Australia to multiple different hospitals and um, kind of settled in Sydney for the long term so at the moment I'm heading up a psychiatry uh, the neuropsych department on in the northern beaches and I am running a practice in Cremorne so I've thrown my hat in the ring to have a small business during COVID which is just a great idea so <laughs> yeah and then here I am. <laughs> here you are now now on the future number one podcast in the world so um, <laughs> yeah, what, what, an achieve, what an achievement now it's really exciting to hear and I'm always intrigued by what I guess what sparks people's interest in their given fields and it's really interesting to hear that that for you it was something as little as that like a book that sparks the interest to go this is what I'm going to spend years and years and years studying but I can also mm. imagine that with that I guess there's a little bit of natural curiosity in your field too, because friendships are something we all have. Neuroscience is something that affects each and every one of us, whether we realize it or not. For you to dive into the field of, you know, friendships in particular and the neuroscience of relationships, what sparked that interest? (laughs) Uh, Captain Brad, I have two answers. Um, One is the professional answer, which is, that I, I just find it fascinating to hear the, the stats and the literature on the chronic influence of toxic people in your life and how that impacts your neurobiology, your physiology, your cardiovascular system and all of the ramifications of chronic exposure to toxic people, which is fascinating and not talked about enough because it's quite clear cut information in the research yet we don't really talk about it um, and the second answer is because I've been there, <laughs> I've been there. I'm a real person and, and you know I've been there like I'm 30 I just turned 33 in lockdown um, and you know all through my 20s I spent a lot of time you know you know this phrase like people pleaser yeah. I actually hate that I think it it, it's a really derogatory term for people who are very empathic and caring (laughs) and we make it like this it's all your fault because you were trying to please someone and you were trying to be nice and that's why you got hurt which I think is just so such gaslighting behavior (laughs) why don't we put that on the person who did the hurting not the person who was trying to be nice um but yeah I I spent my 20s you know I suppose giving a lot a lot a lot a lot to relationships thinking eventually that those people were going to repay the favor or were going to show me the same kindness in return um and yeah you have your crisis when you hit 30 it's true you do and I I kind of remember sitting on my bed and I was crying because once again um I'd had the consistent toxic behavior of, of certain people and I I just was like why am I doing this why am I doing this and that yeah from that point I that's when I first sent my very first breakup message to a friend and said, you know, I, my, ment- my mental health, you know, means I can't, I can't continue to, to do this to my mental health. I need to put my mental health first. Um, and then I started writing and like, yeah, uh, a year later I, I published the book, how to break up with friends. That's super intriguing. And I've got a few questions off the back of that for me, a few things, <clears throat> excuse me, pop up there. The first one being, when you started writing, was that writing process like a journaling process or was it 
because of your, I guess, your interest in neuroscience and your understanding of it, was it a, a very clinical and sort of like thought out approach to writing where you thought this is eventually a piece I'm going to put out or was it more so for mm. yourself? Oh, that's such a great question, Brad. Um, yeah, I suppose. So I, I spent a lot of time doing academic writing, which anyone, anyone who's listening who's currently at uni writing papers, you would be familiar with the publish or perish model, which means like you have to pump out academic papers and articles and get them published in notable um, journals that are scientific. And if you don't pump out enough journal articles, then you kind of get booted and you don't get research fellows and you don't, essentially you don't get, you get denied a career in research. So that's where the saying publish or perish came from. And journal articles are really objective, really scientific. They're written with a very scientific voice. There is no personality in them. You know, it's a very objective way of writing, which is how I've, I've, I've had to write for the last like 12 years that I was um, doing my studies. So yeah, I suppose it did start a little bit like a cathartic journaling process. Um, where I was kind of just writing down the things that I needed to hear myself. Like the day after I broke up with my first friend, <laughs> I went to a cafe and I just started writing. I just started writing all the things that I, I needed to hear or that I wished that I'd heard. Um, and it just kind of kept going. Like it just had momentum and I, it wasn't a chore for me. I wanted to do it. Um, I, I didn't feel like it was an assignment, like homework where I didn't really want to do it. I, I really wanted to do it. So I would just find time actually used to find time between dates <laughs> when I was going on a date I would like arrive an hour earlier and I would write so then that way I would make sure that you know no matter what happened on the date I had had a productive evening <laughs> so, that's a that's a really good way of looking at it yeah so yeah and then before I knew it I made it my goal my new year's resolution was I'm going to complete this manuscript before new year's um and then my next goal, like when January hit, was to send it to a few uh, publishers around Australia. There's a list of like the best publishers in Australia. You can send your manuscript to them um, and you just wait to hear back. And yeah, it was it was actually kind of a very not pressured, you know, I wasn't pressured in any way. So, so that was nice. I'm actually going to remind me, please, because I can imagine your memory is far better than mine. <laughs> Um, to talk to you about that after when we finish this pod, because I'm curious about that process. Um, but, but I love hearing that. And I love hearing, I think for most of us, the process of education comes from some sort of pain personally. And it usually like that something that I've been doing lately is I'm trying to figure out my path and the path that I really want to take with all of this and the way that I deliver content and the way that I share story. Um, one of the best ways to figure that out is to be right through the process and write down how I feel about the certain things that I'm doing, the certain conversations I'm having. It led to a bit of an epiphany a month ago where I realized maybe some of the conversations weren't me at my best as far as a storyteller goes. And for me, fulfilling the purpose that I feel I have. And that's why I'm linked up with someone like you here today, because it was about, okay, realigning with the, the meaningful stuff, the stuff that mattered to me. And that always begins with a bit of self-pain, right? So it's really interesting to hear that. The second question I had off the back of your, your first real major point here in this pod is you spoke about breaking up with a friendship. How different are friendships and romantic relationships as far as all of this neuroscience goes? Is it similar? Uh, 
question. I love that question. Sorry, I'm just going to readjust. Um, that is the best question. They're actually not that dissimilar, um, but in society we treat them like they're super, we're, they're super dissimilar. So there's a lot of like momentum in the space of spooking, you know, domestic violence and narcissistic abuse and and toxic relationships in a in a a paradigm of romantic relationships which you probably are familiar with it's all over instagram like just look at hashtag toxic relationship and most of it is about um your relationship with a partner sometimes we talk about relationships with family as well um and we're even pretty good at talking about relationships with workplace you know in workplaces and toxic workplaces but we don't really give a lot of space to toxic friendships. Um, and I think the reason for that is because it's a social stigma and friendship is still uh, an obstacle that we have to overcome in terms of getting a bit woke to the fact that it's okay for you to um, have expectations of a friend. Because uh, in society, we, we have this kind of expectation that, you know, you're a, you're a friend is a friend is a friend. And once a friend, always a friend. And, you know, to be a good friend, you should give and expect nothing in return. So anyone who expects something from their friends, you know, that there's, there's the ultimate, ultimate fear of you being a buzzkill and you yeah. being uncool. Like friendship is intrins intrinsically tied with popularity and coolness, right? Like the number of friends you have indicates how cool you are. If you have a friend, it means you're a likable, cool individual that people want to be around. And if you don't have friends, then that must mean that you in some way, there's something wrong with you. So this model of us thinking, I'm never going to complain about friends. I'm never going to call people up on their behavior. I must always be cool. I must always be friendly, easygoing, um, and relaxed. I can't ever rock the boat. I can't ever be a buzzkill because God forbid I do that. And then I'll get labeled a Karen, you know, I'll get labeled as a complainer or a high maintenance person. Um, it's kind of perpetuated this idea that we can just give a hall pass to these people who treat us badly. And then we're just like, yep, yeah, that's fine. You're a friend and I'm not going to complain about it because I don't want to, I'd rather have, I'd rather have lots of bad friends than no friends <laughs> yeah. which is that that keeping yourself tied to toxic toxic friends means you have no space for better friends yeah no definitely and I love the way I just want to give you a quick compliment to the way that you use really easy to understand terms in these conversations I think that's why your work is so popular um the well, use the of no bull side. <laughs> yeah well, that's it that's it and I think that's why it works so well so yes. I just want to give you a compliment there but listening hey. to that it makes me think like is there a way to, to simply define what a toxic friendship is? Like, is there a simple yeah. definition for that? Well, I mean, I think you and I would probably be here for the rest of our lives if we discussed all of the caveats yeah. and the, the, the definition of what is a toxic friend. It would go for a very, very long time and we could list if they do this and if they do that and if they do this, um, because it's it's hard to kind of to summarize all of the ways that a person can kind of treat you poorly. Uh, it's easy for the overt stuff. So that means things that like smack you in the face, like a wet fish. So they call you names. They tell you to shut up. They take money from you and they don't return it. Um, they damage your property. They physically are abusive to you. Those things are just flat chat. Like that's a bully, not a friend. That's a bully. Yeah. They're bullying you. And that's overt 
that's overt behavior. It's obvious. You can see it. It's, it's clear and direct and it's, it's very easy to point it out. Whereas there's also more covert behavior, which is the word we use for behavior that's more sneaky and slips under the radar and is something that you can't quite be entirely sure whether it's happened or not. And it makes you second guess whether you're imagining it or you're being overly sensitive um, or if they actually did do something with a malicious intent that's hurt you. And that can be things like being passive aggressive to you, being gaslighting to you, being manipulative towards you, undermining you, having a lack of respect for you. Uh, and those kind of subtle behaviors that really insidiously eat away the friendship. Uh, and, and those behaviors are really sometimes quite hard to identify because they might be because, you know, we have a whole chapter in the book on jealousy uh, sometimes someone can be quite jealous and they'll, that will cause them to treat you in a way that totally undermines your opinion and everything that you've done with your life, but it's really hard for you to call them out on it. Um, yeah. so I think the best definition that I could probably say in a nutshell, you know, obviously I said, go and read the book, but <laughs> in a nutshell, Definitely read the book. I would say it's 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 you and your feelings you need to go with the feel go with the feel which means that if you walk into an interaction and you feel worse after that interaction than before that interaction then that's a pretty good sign that something's wrong with that relationship something's wrong because you shouldn't be walking away feeling worse than before you saw the person so if you feel anxious you feel scared you feel apprehensive before you meet them because you're never sure, am I going to get Jekyll or Hyde? How are they going to treat me this time? And you're feeling anxious about how they're going to behave. If you feel awful during the interaction, you feel humiliated, you feel ashamed, you feel embarrassed, you feel patronized, you feel judged. That's again, another red flag. And if you walk away and maybe not immediately, but maybe when you're laying in bed in the middle of the night and you're thinking back, why do I have this unusual feeling in the pit of my stomach, like something's not quite right? And you reflect on it and it takes you a little while to realize, oh, it was because they kept interrupting me or, oh, it was because of the tone of their voice or it was the way that they kept speaking to me in this particular way that makes you realize, oh, actually, I don't. I, I don't like how that happened. I don't feel right about what happened. So that red flag of go with the feel is probably your best rubber stamp of something might be wrong. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. And I can imagine there are probably a lot of people, um, unfortunately, who are sitting here listening to this or watching this, who are throwing their hand up when they hear you say a few of those toxic traits. And <laughs> if one of those people is sitting there and wondering, okay, that's definitely a friend that I have, or that's definitely someone within my life. How do you address that? Because there's a, there's a few ways that I look at this and there's a few questions that arise for me. So let's say we recognize we have a toxic friend. Mm -hmm. Is it like, is it like the, you know, a, a bad piece of fruit where you need to throw it out when it's rotten in the middle? Um, do you throw it out straight away? Do you have a conversation? Is there something that we can do to, you know, I know we talk about, I know you're not a fan at all of ghosting and I agree. I think that's a really terrible way to handle most situations, if not any situation. Um, however, when approaching someone who is a toxic friend or has those toxic qualities, should we be addressing it in a certain way? And is it, calling them out for those toxic traits or is it letting them also know how you feel? Yeah. Great question, Captain Brad. Um, look, I love, I love that analogy you just gave about like fruit. I'm, I'm sitting by my fruit bowl, so I'm just going to grab a fruit. 
Um, yeah, I love that that idea of like, is the fruit rotten? Like, they, what's that saying? Like, he's a rotten apple. He's rotten to the core. And it's kind of like an ad hominem attack. Ad hominem means to, instead of going by the behavior of what someone's done wrong, you make a personal character um, opinion about who they are as a person. It's not, it's not the bad behavior. That's, it's not the behavior that's bad. It's the person that's bad. And fundamentally as a person, they're a bad person. I don't think that anybody is a bad person. I think that, you know, people can do bad things, uh, but fundamentally as a human being, I don't think, well, very, very few people like, you know, psychopaths is a very, very small base rate. It's like one in a, you know, hundred million people would technically meet criteria to be a psychopath. And what I mean by that is people don't typically wake up in the morning and go like, who am I going to hurt today? You know, they don't, they don't, people don't deliberately, maliciously, intentionally try to hurt other people. Everyone's just, we're all just floating around this crazy universe trying to do our best. And most of the time, you know, you're doing stuff based on what, all the information you have at the time and what you're going through at the time. And you didn't intentionally mean to hurt somebody, but you may have. Uh, so I, I don't think that individuals are deliberately assholes. Sometimes they can be re recurrent assholes because they don't know that what they're doing is not friendship. It's actually yeah. friendship, uh, yeah. which is why I am a big advocate for communication, which I know is not like the fun, glamorous thing to say. And it's not super fun and amazing. It's just, it's just the no, the no bullshit truth. Okay. And then, and that's, you have to be able to communicate when something was wrong. So, you know, I made an app called assert yourself because I just kept meeting people who were saying, I can't say no. And I can't tell people when they've hurt me. And I'm too afraid to just speak out loud when something happens that's not okay and that I'm not okay with because we've gotten so good at a society to just acquiesce, to just go along with things, to just never rock the boat and never make trouble for anybody, especially women, I think as well, we're really good at um, falling into this trap of never wanting to be um, troublesome. And if we say something wasn't right or we didn't want something, then we feel like we're a burden in some way. So learning the skill of actually being able to say, when you did X, it made me feel sad. Please don't do X to me again. Uh, and actually calling your friend out on their bullshit where you say, you know, hey, hey, mate, like, you know, when you cancelled on me last minute, it meant that my morning was wasted. Please don't do that to me again. And then if yeah. Mr. X does it to you again, you can say, hey, mate, like I did tell you, please don't cancel on me again. And this is the second time you've done it to me. Uh, and that way you're kind of laying the groundwork. You're laying yeah. the groundwork for later which is you know the saying fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me that's when you're seeing if somebody doesn't change their behavior despite you giving them the clear boundary here is a boundary and I don't want you to cross it and if they keep crossing it well now the behavior is on you what are you going to do about somebody who repeatedly crosses your boundary and hurts you yeah you know what I mean amazing way of looking at it. and I think communications underutilized in every area of life and, mm. you know, I feel really blessed because I was, you know, this morning knowing that we're going to be having this conversation, it made me presently think about mates, right? And I've, I feel so grateful that as I've told people for the last two weeks, you've been coming on the show and a lot of people have been really excited. They know you, they follow you and they love your work. 
Um, so, you know, another little compliment there, but a lot of people <laughs> have asked me about how I feel about the topic. And I feel really grateful because I'm just surrounded by so many really good human beings. Like it's probably one of the things that I'm, it's probably my biggest blessing is like from my family to my friends, the people around me are really good. They're really loving. They, they're understanding and they're caring people. And it made me think, and it made me question, not my friendships, but I was like, does that make me an expert or does that make me an absolute rookie? Because I've not really had to deal with it. But at the same point in time, I've, I've found a way to be surrounded by really good people, which I feel grateful for. And then it made me ask the question, well, what happens if one of those friends had addressed with me, which I'd hope nobody felt this way, but what happens if they'd addressed with me that there was a toxic trait that I had as a friend? It was a trait that made them feel uncomfortable or made them feel uneasy. And they address that with me. How do we then realize or how do sometimes we realize if it's not brought up to us that maybe we're the bad seed at this point yeah. in time or we have the bad quality because like we said there's no bad people yeah I um I love that I love that perspective like the introspection we call it introspection looking intro perspective introspection looking into yourself and and seeing what might be going on internally within you um and there is a part in the book where we talk about mentalities all the mentalities about why someone might treat you toxically and also all the mentalities that you might have as to why you stay in that relationship or feeling like something's wrong with you or am I maybe the toxic one? Um, and it's always good to do some self-reflection. I think you're never, you're never doing a disservice to yourself to look within yourself and see if your behaviour passes muster um, and that you're being a good friend yourself. Uh, and I guess, you know, when somebody gifts you, like it's a gift when someone tells you, hey, when you did this, it hurt me. That's a gift that they've taken the, the time and had the bravery to actually communicate something to you that you can take on board and learn from. And again, it's, it's that case of, you know, you saying thank you to that person for giving you the benefit of the doubt that I know you didn't mean to do this on purpose. I know you weren't intentionally trying to hurt me, but when you did this thing, it did actually hurt me. And that's, that's actually really beautiful and really mature and shows a lot of emotional emotional EQ, emotional intelligence to be able to say, I know you weren't intending. I can see past the behavior into your intentions. And I know your intention wasn't to hurt me. So I'm just letting you know this behavior did hurt me. So please don't do it again. And then you're either doing it because you're being malicious or you're doing it because you're inconsiderate if you keep doing yeah. it. And of course, we want to show that we're not inconsiderate. So I guess, I guess the answer, Brad, is like, okay, well, someone tells you, please don't be late or please don't, please don't um, disrespect my time, or please return the money that I lent you, or please don't call me an idiot, um, even though you think it's a joke because it's actually hurting me. Well, then it's like, well, if you keep doing that, then yeah, you're, you're being a bit of a jerk. <laughs> you need to yeah. stop. Why are you doing that? Like if someone tells you this behavior hurts me, why would you keep doing something that you know hurts somebody? It's either because you are being intentionally malicious or it's because you're being non-maliciously inconsiderate, non-maliciously inconsiderate, which basically means I'm not doing it to hurt you. I'm not doing it because I want to hurt you. I'm just not taking into consideration your feelings at all. I'm oblivious to your feelings. I'm not putting any care into your feelings and in a way that that is actually the the hurtful part of it is like you're so 
you're such a low priority for me that I'm, I don't even care to take check and accountability of my behavior. Yeah. I think Makes it's sense. a really good point. And I think it, I guess, if anything, it's a, it's a reminder that we all need to be introspective at times. And, and even yeah. if we don't feel like we're, we're, you know, having any bad qualities or, or projecting anything toxic onto our friends, it's probably just a good practice just to every now and then consider how you have been around your friends and the type of human being you are, especially in times like this, where there is so much frustration surrounding friendships and not being able to see people. And maybe, you know, someone hasn't made you their, their num you know, their one exercise buddy or their one walk buddy in this current max of two people catch ups. Um, I think it's just important to remember that, you know, everyone's going through difficult times and sometimes mm we can be a little bit oblivious to those things when we're caught up in our own world. So definitely something that I'll be practicing more of. And hopefully all my friends yeah. listen to this, think I'm doing a good job of it. Um, we'll I see. I do have a question for you actually, Brad, because you mentioned away. Like, and you've had good quality friendships and it's great to meet um, a man who is so emotionally intelligent and so woke, hashtag woke to all of those, you know, <laughs> psychological things and talks about mental health because um you know we do have a little bit of a problem in Australia with men and mental health um I wonder you know what's your experience of friendship and and masculinity in friendship because sometimes you know there is this trend for for men to you know have this resistance to talk about emotions and to be emotionally close in relationships with their friends and not get the right support that they need and and I wonder how you find emotional closeness in male friendships that's a really good question great question and I love when I get asked questions it's nice <laughs> to be on the other side of them um you know I think mine the the reason that my friendship circle is really open about these things and like I said I'm blessed I've got a good bunch of friends and I've got friends in different areas of my life some that have been there since the age of four like we've grown up and spent 20 plus years together um, I've got friends who are more recent who I've met through like my communities, like running and, and the work that I do and in this space. And I think the common, the common thread amongst all of them and the, I guess the unique lens that we all see our friendships through is because of my life and, and my particular circumstances with a health problem. Um, there've been some times, I guess, in my life where I haven't been as healthy as I am now and I face more challenges and I think when you face challenges and you are yourself vulnerable and your mates can see you out of your comfort zone, then it, they rise to the occasion. And my, I definitely know the friends that are still around me have, right? And I think when you're in that space and you're open and you're connected and, you, and you're sharing how you actually feel and the fact that you might be a little bit nervous about the situation you're currently in, it allows them to feel really comfortable in that space with you too, sharing those things and I've, I've grown up, I went to a really small school growing up. So whilst Wollongong is this, you know, it's a, it's a city, um, I use quotation marks there, but it, it is very much a small town where we all know each other and, you know, you greet the whole community when you go for a walk and a coffee. Um, I grew up in a school where there are only 40 people in my year. So I had many of the same friends for most of my life, which meant that you become really close. You experience the, the ups and downs of life together which I think naturally allows those things to occur. But what I've noticed is that I guess probably through a bit of um, self-reflection, my mates definitely open up to me more when I open up to them first. And so a practice that I've sort of had is if I can see a mate that's maybe struggling a little and 
maybe not dealing with a situation as as well as they could be or as or as I'd like to see them succeeding and thriving in that space as a friend, I'll open up about something first, which I think then opens the floodgates. And when there's a little bit of vulnerability shared around, um, it seems to go both ways. So that's been a personal practice for me. And I guess I've, you know, I've learned, like I ran my charity event last year. And with that event, I had a lot of new mates around me because I met the running community that I trained with for five months before that. And they're all new friends to me. And I guess when you see, when those guys share those ups and downs of that journey with you, and then they all see me cry my eyes out in the, the speech at the end of that run, it becomes at a very comfortable place that they know I'm probably not going to judge them. And, and I wouldn't judge them if they were in the same space or, or having challenges. So that's probably a really long-winded answer, but I think it comes from sharing first and being vulnerable first. And that's, yeah. that's what I've found to really work. And I've also been in a space where, you know, in 2018, you spoke about studying in Melbourne. I worked in Melbourne for a year. I was, I was a real estate agent before this. I'm reformed now. It's okay. Um, <laughs> you say it with such a look on your face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I was, I was a real estate agent. I've still got many amazing friends and connections from those times. But during my time in Melbourne, I'm super close with family. And I've got that really excuse me, tight friendship circle. So it was a hard move. It's really, it was a really big decision for me to move away from Wollongong and find myself in an apartment by myself, knowing no one, but the people I've worked with and were a small work crew, they all had partners, family and friends. And I really had no one down there. So I was, I was for most of the time outside of, you know, a bit of connection in the office. A lot of the things I'd done in the office were, solo as well so I spent a lot of time by myself in that nine months Mm. and I noticed how much I struggled without friends and family around and Mm. I think coming back to Wollongong at the end of that year and having you know to begin with more so a group of about five core mates around me was like an ultimate appreciation for how much those friendships really mean and how important family is and ever yeah. since then, I've just made a really conscious effort of keeping the right people around. And, and I can be, you know, we spoke, you spoke about before the, the trouble of saying no. I really struggle with saying no. And that's something that I have to work on. I'm the guy that if I get asked to go for 20 coffees um, on a Monday because 20 people want to catch up, I'll have 20 coffees on a Monday where I need to learn to go, okay, no, like I can't accommodate everyone all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, but learning to balance it and, and that's a part of it. And, you know, that's a, a challenge I'm blessed out because I've got so many good people around me. Yep. And it's funny, exactly what you said echoes the literature as well with male friendships in Australia. It's interesting. You said, I find like you, you were saying you can open the door if you share first. Yeah. And one of the, I talk about this in the book um, about masculinity and sometimes people use the word toxic masculinity which I am not a huge fan of that term because I think it implies that there's something inherently evil about being masculine, which is not. It's, it's only when there's too much of anything, it becomes a bad thing. So too much stoicism and too much non-help-seeking behaviour can become toxic. So I like to sort of think of it like masculinity imbalance where we're doing too much of not, not opening up, not being emotionally vulnerable, not being too stoic, going through everything alone, championing you know, grinning and bearing it and um, not sharing. But the literature 
one of the largest studies in Australia that have looked into uh, male friendship showed that like 80% of men are unsatisfied with the quality of their relationship and wished that they could open up more to their friends, but were fearful that if they opened up, they would be judged and that they would be, um, you know, thought of as weak or pathetic or um, in some way less of a man because they opened up about their feelings. And they actually reported, I think it was like something like 40% reported that if their friend was to open up first, that they would reciprocate as well. So it's a little bit like sometimes um, males can can play a bit of a game of emotional chicken where it's mm. like, who's going to go first? You know, if you go first, then I'll go. So sometimes I think it's nice for men to hear other men say, you know, you're in a safe space if you open up and if you do talk about how you're going, um, you might find that that, that that is actually accepted with your friend more better than you thought it was going to be. I think it strengthens everything, right? And it's actually, for me, it's been a really useful tool in this stuff, in the podcast space. Like the conversation we're having today is very much about um, certain behavioral traits and and things of that nature. I've had conversations before that's required people to open up about really horrific times in their life and horrific experiences. And the thing that I found really useful is, you know, quite often when when someone comes into your space, whether it be the studio, or I used to shoot at home for a long time, which is mm. where I am now during lockdown. But I found that a really good way to get people comfortable opening up was before we got on camera, I would just share all of my stuff with them and kind of mm. just hopefully break down the walls and the barriers that made them feel like they couldn't share. And mm. I think it strengthens every relationship in your life. And I also think it's a really important part of figuring out whether those people are the right people for you or not. Like I know if I was not just with a mate or if I was with a new mate or I was on a date or I was speaking to someone for the first time, I reckon one of the best things you can do is be really honest and share from the start because Mm. it actually allows you to figure out how they respond is probably a good gauge of whether you're matched or not as friends, partners, Mm -hmm. um, colleagues, whatever it may be. And mm. yeah, I think if you're listening to this or viewing this here today, and hopefully many, many of you are, then like, I think if you've got the confidence and, and you've had some experience in that space, be the first one to open up, challenge yourself to be the person that, that shares that little bit first. And you don't have to put, put it all out there for the world to hear from the beginning. It can just be, I think I've heard you say before in another podcast, the great way to do it is just one-on-one. Doesn't yeah. always have to be the group scenario. Yeah, especially I think for men, because there is a bit of a stigma about emotional um, disclosure, like and yeah. in group settings, we, we have a we have a banter culture, we have a joke culture uh, in Australia. There's studies that have been done into this where teasing is used as a way of getting the conversation back into a safe space for mm. men who aren't comfortable with the emotional content of the conversation. So they will use teasing to try to you know, bring it back to a space where they feel comfortable and what they're actually doing, even though it's a joke and even though it's in jest and it's supposed to be funny, they're actually signaling to the person who's opening up, oh, you need to stop now. You need to stop opening yeah. up and we need to pull back. Um, and we we know literature sort of is pretty consistent indicating that male friendships tend to, surf, tend to be based on physical proximity. So just being close to each other, like sitting and having a beer or sitting and watching a footy game or sitting and, or going and playing golf. So we're physically close. We're standing next to each other, 
but we're not emotionally yeah. close. We're not, we're not talking to each other about our emotions. Whereas women, um, their relationships are tend to be based on emotional closeness where we'll, we'll catch up just for the sake of talking, just to talk, just to talk about our feelings. And I think some, a good tip for men, if you're, if you're wanting to talk more about what's going on, you know, the, the divorce you've gone through or the passing of a loved one or, you know, the, the business breakdown and the financial hardship and the emotional pressure that that's put on you and you're finding that, you know, you catch up with mates at the pub and they all know you've just been through a divorce but nobody will ask you about it. No one will talk about it. And, and the mentality is, oh, we didn't want to bring it up because we didn't want to, he didn't want to think about it. It's like, well, you kind of just ignored this big thing in his life and you didn't talk about it. So you didn't, you didn't distract him. You just didn't acknowledge him in any way. Um, so sometimes a good tip is instead of being in a group setting, you can test the waters with one friend instead yeah. of five friends and see how you go with that one friend and having a conversation that is a bit more emotional than, than you would in the pub with the five friends who are getting rowdy over the sports game, who aren't probably going to be as receptive to that conversation in that space. You know, I think all incredible points there. And it actually made me think of something um, that had kind of slipped my mind a little bit. So I'd, I'd, I'd be actually interested to, to hear your take on this. So um, two mates of mine, mm-hmm. three of us had been for coffee one morning and this coffee was an attempt at, we'd all just read Matthew McConaughey's new book, which I think is incredible. Um, people have heard me talk about it many times here on the podcast and we, we were like catching up and one of the boys proposed, he's quite into like reading and quite into his business and he said, let's go start, let's go have like a book club session, right? Where we talk about this book and some of it, cause we'd all been sharing about the lessons that we'd learned from this book yeah. and the things we'd picked up and the things we'd liked. He said, why don't we do it over a coffee? Yeah. So we went, but what it actually turned into though was addressing one of the points in the book then turned into almost like an intervention club for one of the boys where we started to like really give him some ideas on how we felt he could improve his business. And we know that within that circle, we're all very open about those things with each other. So we knew it was, it was going to be okay with him to do that. Right. Kind of like Mm -hmm. we'd pre-qualify that, but then we realized the benefit in that session was that this has kind of become an intervention club, which could be really positive for anything that we kind of wanted to air and sort of help our mates with moving forward. So we created a system that was like you into got friendship. It was right. And it was kind of like, you'd get an invite. So like I got my invite week to, it was like, we invite you to intervention club. And if you take this invitation, you choose, you're like, you're coming understanding that the stuff isn't intended to hurt your feelings. Um, but there may be some things that we really like think would help. And we just want yeah. to see you do well. And it was coming from a good place. And and we all got a lot of real benefit out of it as mates, but I'm interested to hear your take on that. Cause I think that could be really negative for some people too. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I think it's great. It sounds good. You've got the interfrenchian club. I love it. Um, and that's a space where you clearly defined this is a constructive discussion and we are going to give you suggestions about a problem and what we think you could do to address the problem. And that's fine if it is in the very pigeonholed space of this is a discussion where we're going to try to offer you solutions to a problem. Yeah. Uh, where that can become toxic and derail you is if you 
offer solutions to a problem in a conversation where the, the person engaged you in a conversation to share that they were having a problem and to disclose the feelings that they were having about that problem. So there's a difference between a conversation which is solution focused and you've already outlined, we are going to talk about solutions in this conversation and a conversation where someone's just approached you to share that they're in a dark space. Yeah. Because what we do when we offer solutions to somebody who's in a dark space is we can sometimes um, invalidate the experience that they're going through. When people are in a dark space, they're, they're not looking for solutions. They're not looking for you to solve the problem for them. You know, we and I often hear this with women when they discuss how their husbands or, or men in their lives have approached. Men are very action oriented. Here's a solution. You have a problem and here's a solution because I want you to feel better. I want you to be happy. So let me give you some solutions to what you're experiencing. And, uh, you know, you'll hear that age old refrain of, of women saying, I didn't want a solution. I just wanted you to listen. Uh, and so I think it's, it's beautiful and fantastic to have um, solution-focused discussions and there is absolutely a time and a place. And we have therapy called solution-focused therapy where it's about let's now we're at the pointy end, let's talk about how do we fix this. But there's also a part in that journey where you just need to listen and sit with them in that space. And if we mix up the timing when we do those two things, that's when it can start to get in a bit of hot water because the friend might not feel that their emotions have actually been acknowledged. Um, so, you know, so long as you're operating with respect and integrity and you're listening to the person and you're paying attention to the verbals and the non-verbals of that person and how receptive they are, are they closing off? Are they shutting down? Are they not participating in that conversation anymore? Are you just speaking at them instead of speaking with them? Then you should be, you should be okay to navigate that with your friend and their emotions. I love the way that you explain that and define that. I think that's really important. And yeah, like we all know the benefit of a friend that will just sit and listen and, and be there to hear as you explain things and, and throw out exactly what you're feeling, what you're thinking at the time. So I couldn't mm. agree with that more. Um, I'm really interested to hear your experiences without diving into personally and explaining <laughs> everything, your experiences once coming to these realizations. So you've started to write, you know, you spoke about mm. hitting 30 Started, and, and you are a bundle of light and joy for 30. So don't feel like you, you made it sound like you're old. Um, you're doing incredible things. You, you seem very young and full spirited, which is amazing. Um, but talk, talk to me about that realization in that moment, you start to write, you start to understand these things. And obviously then you start to practice it and start to implement it in your own life. What are some of the roadblocks you come up against? Like I can imagine that not everyone is as you know, like, as we said before, woke to exactly what you're starting to understand and feel and write mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. face problems with maturity of friends, understanding that you're doing it out of love for the friendship. The fact that you want to continue to have that friendship and work on it. Um, what are the sort of roadblocks and, and hurdles that you face when you start to have these conversations and practically apply the knowledge? Yeah, I suppose your, I think the best principle we can say is, you know, I like to talk about the feelings, thoughts, behavior wheel, if you've ever heard yeah. of that. And that's like, you've got feelings, you've got thoughts and you've got behaviors. And there's a, there's a wheel that they're on where they all kind of 
go into one another. So, you know, feelings follow the behavior that you do. If you go for a run, you get up, you get in the sunlight, you feel a bit better. If you stay indoors, you lay in bed, you don't get out, you don't eat anything, you're probably going to feel worse. Um, and thoughts also impact what you do in a day, um, you know, what you're your thinking in terms of your efficacy, that's going to impact your behavior, your thoughts are going to impact your feelings and around and around the wheel goes. Now, we don't have control over our feelings. We don't have 100% control over our feelings. We feel what we feel and we don't get a choice in that. When you hear a certain piece of news, you're going to spontaneously feel happy or sad about that. And you don't get a choice what you spontaneously feel in response to this world, right? Yeah. Your thoughts, you don't have control over your thoughts. People love saying to me, yes, you do. And I'm like, no, you don't. Because if I said to you, Brad, do not think about the fluffy pink elephant. Do not imagine an elephant. Do not think about the letter E. Don't think about the color pink. Do not picture an elephant. Like, I'm sorry, did you picture an elephant just then? That's all I could you think about. And, <laughs> and I hated yeah, the fact you were right. It's going to pop into your head at some point today. Um, now, you don't have control over the thoughts that pop into your head. We have like a thought a second, at least, at least. There's how many seconds in a minute? How many minutes in an hour? How many hours in a day? Your brain is wired to think about everything all the time so that it keeps it safe. So you can't control all the thoughts popping into your head. What you can control in that wheel, the thoughts, feelings, behavior wheel, is your behavior. That's the one thing you can control. That's the one thing you can choose 100%. I'm going to reach out and pick up this water bottle and take a drink. I'm going to go and do a run today. I'm going to eat a sandwich. Like that's the one part of the wheel that you have control over, which is your behavior. So if you think about that in terms of friends, yes, you can do the behavior of eating a bit of humble pie if you think you put your foot in it. You can do the behavior of calling out toxic behavior, um, toxic you toxic behavior and communicate that to the friend. You can do the behavior of being forgiving for a friend. You can do the behavior of breaking up with a friend. Um, you can, you are in control of all of those things within yourself. That's the one part of this equation that you are in control over. What you're not in control over is how you feel with the fallout of what might happen, what you might think, what might pop into your head as you're going through that process. And I want to point out as well, you're only in control of your behavior. You're not in control of their behavior, okay? So they're gonna do whatever they're gonna do in response to you asserting your boundaries. And you are not in control of their behavior and you are not responsible for another adult's behavior. That, that refrain of you made me do this, this is your fault, you made me do this. Everyone's responsible for their own behavior. So if someone is going to, be receptive and be humbled and to swallow their pride and to say, you know, yep, I messed up and I'm going to try and do better. Fantastic. Win-win. Perfect. If they're going to turn around and say, you know, get defensive, get super defensive and say, well, here's all the things that you do wrong and, and totally undermine your attempts to rectify the relationship, or they're going to turn around and air all your dirty laundry on social media, or they're going to turn around and be vitriolic and, and make horrible remarks to you. And it changes the nature of the friendship forever where they, they suddenly double down on their toxicity. You are not in control of that. All you can control is your behavior in response to what happens and taking the next step in the line, which might be, I've communicated this, they've doubled down or they haven't changed. And now I, for my own mental health, I need to put pause on this relationship or end this relationship. That right there, I think is the biggest takeaway from this whole podcast that you should never feel guilty about speaking up about how you feel, 
what you're thinking. And like you said, having that positive behavior to, to call it out, to ask the question, to make them aware of it. Like you said, you can't control what the person on the other side of that conversation feels like. And, and that's unfortunate, um, but it's life and you deserve to be able to speak up about those things. So I, mm-hmm. I love talking to you about this conversation. I feel like you could talk about friendships and relationships and, and everything that you've written and spoken so much about before for hours on end. Um, but I want to make sure that the conversation doesn't die here. I can imagine there are a lot of people who are getting a lot of positive takeaways from this, um, as have I. And I want to make sure that we all continue to go on that adventure of understanding friendships and understanding the good ones, the bad ones, and the things that we need to work on ourselves too. So how can people continue to be in touch with your work and get their hands on your book? (laughs) <laughs> Great question. Um, well, I always love people coming and joining the, the little community I've made, which is um, on Instagram at no ball psych, which is um, a little safe space, I suppose, where I, I post regularly about little things that you might not have realized <laughs> that are impacting your your friendship and, and your relationships with other people. And I do get a lot of messages on my Instagram from people saying, oh, my God, I'm experiencing this. I thought I was alone. I thought there was something wrong with me. So it's kind of a validating space to feel like, no, there's quite quite clear science and literature to say this is a real thing. This is happening. This is the effect it has on your body and your brain and you're not imagining it. Um, so come along and join us there. Otherwise, if you want to check out the book, which I would absolutely love to get feedback from anyone, you can get it at all good bookshops. So Big W and Dimex. You can also get it on Audible. So that's an easy way to listen to it. <laughs> so you can just plug it in your ears as you're doing your, your solo walk around the community during lockdown. Um, and I would love to hear what everybody thinks about it. I love getting feedback. So, you know, let, if you read it, do let me know what you think. I love it. I'm going to get around it. I'm going to make sure that people continue to get around it. And I'll have all the links from um, today's conversation or in the description of today's episode there for you to jump on Audible, for you to find the book at one of those stores uh, or all of them, if I can find all those links and also your social (laughs) stuff. I want to say thank you so much for being here to have this conversation. It's a really important one. And I want to commend you not only on all the incredible work you're doing, but for all of the sacrifice you're making at the moment, it is a very tough time for anyone on the front line. And as we spoke about off camera before we jumped on, um, seven days a week is relentless. So thank you so much for all the incredible work you're doing, Dr. Hen. Um, it's a pleasure you. to have you here. <laughs> Thanks, Captain Brad. It was great to be here. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. Take care and make sure you check out those links. Um, thank you all for tuning in, watching and listening. Remember, give it a follow, subscribe, five-star ratings, raving reviews, and share it with your family and friends. (laughs) You're all a bunch of gems.